Welcome to Artworks in Therapy. I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. Judy Rubin. Today is March 16th, 2021. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is the second episode of this podcast, and I feel like we set the bar kind of high. May I call you Judy? Sure. Okay. So out of curiosity, what comes up for you when you heard the name of this podcast, Artworks in Therapy? I thought it was uh, very clever because I thought of artworks, that is works of art, in two ways actually, using reproductions or actual artworks as stimuli, which I some of my colleagues do quite often, um, and I did off and on, and the artwork that people produce, of course, in art therapy, but, you know, the, uh, the truth that art works. <laughs> it works very well in therapy, and that's why we're in this field. So I thought it was a very clever um, name. So you, you started as an art educator. I was an art major in college, and I actually was going to be, a, I was going to go to Pratt because all, all my cousins had gone to Pratt. But then I decided, no, I wanted a liberal arts education. So I went to an art, uh, a regular college and majored in art. Uh, but then I realized I wasn't good enough to make a career as an actual artist, that is, selling my paintings. And I didn't really like commercial art, although my cousins were doing very well in it and, and enjoyed it. But I did love working with kids. I had been an arts and crafts counselor when I was in high school, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I stumbled into art therapy, and I heard about this child study center where they were collecting the children's art and studying it. And that had been something I had investigated in Harvard, which actually was the first time I saw the term art therapy when I was in grad school. And I thought, oh, but, but I was interested in, in research. So I went and I was going to offer my services. And this lady said, the director, who was Fred Rogers' mentor also, she said, um, we have some money from the government and we'd like you to work here uh, part-time and work with the school-aged children. They had after-school groups. And would you like to do art therapy? And I said, well, I'm not a therapist. I'm a teacher. You know, I have no training. She, and she was a clinical child psychologist. And she said, oh, don't worry. I'll, I'll supervise you. And so I was sort of dumped into an inpatient setting with schizophrenic children. The, the department and the preschool, the Child Study Center, was founded by Eric Erickson and Benjamin Spock. So it was not just your average child study center. And Erickson came every year to do papers and case conferences. And he did a grand rounds at the hospital. And I presented one of the kids I was working with who was, she could speak, but she was very hard to understand. She had other disabilities and, but her art was eloquent. And uh, he, actually, this is kind of funny. We went out for a drink afterward. And uh, I said, Professor Erickson, I don't know what I am doing. I need to study something. What do you, I mean, I can see something wonderful is happening with this girl and with the other kids, but I don't understand it. And there's, there was hardly anything to read at that time. This is 1963, right? right. So, um, the only thing was uh, Margaret Namberg's collection of papers and Edith Kramer's first book, and that was it, and a book from England. Uh, but 
he said, don't study anything. You have a great intuitive gift <laughs> of working with people. It will get in your, if you study something, you'll, it'll get in the way. And my dissertation ended up being child art therapy, but that's because I could demonstrate the need. There were only seven books in the field at that time. Arthur hadn't written anything yet. It was 1976. So there were seven existing books and I, I had written a bunch of articles in the course of working at this clinic. And um, so I put those together for a dissertation. And then a friend of mine, Pearl Greenberg, who is an art educator from New Jersey, who was interested in special ed and art, called and said, my, <laughs> my publisher is looking for somebody to write a book on art therapy with children. Do you know anybody? And I said, oh, my heavens, I'm ju I just did it. <laughs> I mean, talk about, well, of course, the people I had worked with on the psych units were not in the world of reality all the time. They really were psychotic. And so, but what Fred was doing with make-believe was talking about normal fantasy and the importance of imagination and fantasy, but also the importance of knowing the difference between real and make-believe and he was very concerned even in the 60s and television was still rather limited in those days but with uh, a lot of programs for children especially um, there were real people doing imaginary things and there were imaginary people doing real things and it was he was concerned that it was going to mix kids up in terms of what's real and what's not. And of course, as you know now, the adults are really mixed up sometimes, big time. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what, what's truth and what's not. But, uh, but I thought it was a brilliant idea to have the, the world of make-believe, the neighborhood of make-believe. And actually in the early shows that I think almost all the ones I did, he was using the tapes that he had done at, in Canada he had gotten the rights to the neighborhood of make-believe segments. And um, so we would do our thing in his kitchen. And usually, wow. one, once I went to the neighborhood of make-believe, but mostly I was in the real world with him in the kitchen. And, uh, and then it would shift. He would play the make-believe segment and come back. So brilliant job of translating analytic concepts into language that regular people could understand like um you know how to get rid of the mad inside yeah. when you feel so mad you could bite or scary mad wishes don't make things come true and actually when i had gone into private practice by then and i found myself quoting his lyrics to adults as often as to children so i made a film using not the stuff from our interaction, but his songs primarily and how he te taught analytic concepts through films. It's called Lessons from the Neighborhood. And- um, Can that be found on your library? In your yes, yes, wonderful. actually it is one of the films that's available. I'm so wait. glad you asked. <laughs> well, um, we also gonna have a commercial break coming up soon and uh, we're gonna uh, let our listeners hear about how to connect with that. Um, I did want to say that uh, I first I first met you kind of vicariously through uh, Summit um, at my green screen workshop back in 2011, which is crazy to think that was 10 years ago. 
But green screen, I mean, I, I wasn't even thinking about it. Um, there is a whole world of make-believe there. Sure. And that, that superimposition, the special effects aspect of putting yourself somewhere else um, oh, yeah. using the technology. Let me ask you this. What, what do you think technology's got in store for future art therapists listening to this? I think, I, I think the sky's the limit. I mean, there's so much you can do with creating on the screen, through the screen. I, I, I don't know enough to, to say everything. Like I used to do stop frame animation with kids. Well, that's very tedious. But now you've got programs to do computer animation. The using technology with people, I think I was just sort of curious. And my father had had an eight millimeter camera when we were growing up, didn't have any sound. We didn't have video, it was a film camera. Um, we got a Super 8 at, to, and filmed our kids. Again, no sound, but, and so I brought the Super 8 into the clinic and filmed kids in a group. And one of the early films I made was based, used slides and Super 8 footage and we added the soundtrack. So, um, and then I would, I would have kids, as I said, animation, but also they could make a film um, using a Super 8 camera. So. I think I was just curious. Uh, and I worked with a drama therapist who was, I was the only art therapist in Pittsburgh when I started. So it comes from the person or the group and you're not the one imposing it, they're doing it and you just go with the flow. I mean, uh, when we did the, the first art drama therapy group with uh, latency kids, uh, for me, it's just doing what comes naturally. Right. and letting it happen and making it possible for it to happen. That is being like we always had some kind of music player in the groups that Ellie and I led, including adults. We were lucky to have very large spaces so people could move around, although we didn't do a lot of movement therapy, but we worked with the movement therapy. We did a lot of co-therapy with people from other disciplines like dance and music. And yeah. uh, that's another way of adding skills that you don't have. So I think it's just being open to it. So a little bit more after this break. Learning about the expressive arts therapies can be much more powerful when you can watch them being done on screen. Now you can do that anytime and from anywhere. Visit Expressive Media's new online film library, where you can stream over a hundred videos of expert arts therapists at work, view rare footage of clinical sessions with children, teens, and adults, elders, couples, and groups, conference lectures too. Rent one film or subscribe to the entire collection. That's www.expressivemedia/filmlibrary. Continuing education credits also available. And I wanted to kind of use the second portion of the podcast to talk about how you got into filmmaking. And, you know, I must say I'm a big fan of all this resurgence of, of Fred Rogers. And uh, obviously um, in my mid-40s, so I was a child of, of seeing and watching those shows. Now, in the Hollywood version of Mr. Rogers, uh, there was a scene where Fred in this Lloyd characters sat close on the couch, even in the restaurant, as if 
you know, there was something like a therapist inside Fred. Yeah, you can hear it in the way he talks to the kids. I mean, you know, he would look right into the camera and the ch children felt like he was talking to them. That was a brilliant, he got that from Gabby Hayes, who was, so in many ways, uh, what he created was like a therapy session with a, a beginning and an end and very clear boundaries and closure, as well as being an ordained Presbyterian minister and a very experienced television performer first behind the scenes and then in front of the camera. Neil, um, you know, crouching and says, hi, Anna. Hi, Mr. Rogers. I mean, there was this intimate speaking directly to each child. So yeah. uh, that's what you saw in that um, story about his interaction with the journalist. I was telling Fred, we would talk before and after the tapings. And I was telling him, about these children I was working with, and they were blind children who had other disabilities. And this was at a time in neonatal medicine when premature babies were being saved through advances in neonatal care. So this new population came and somebody with a degree in special ed was asked to develop a pilot program and she and I met at some event and she said, oh, art therapy, maybe that would be good for these kids. Would you be willing to do a pilot program in art therapy? The art teacher said, oh, you can't do anything with these kids. They're gonna have clay on the ceiling and the materials in their mouth and forget it, you know, they can't do anything. They were viewed quite pessimistically, but what they could do was just astonishing. So I'm telling Fred, nobody is going to believe me about how creative these kids are. Uh, the director of the program and I had written a, an article for some, you know, Education of the Blind Journal, but it was hard to put into words. You, you almost, you had to see it to believe it. Yeah. And um, anyway, he said, I, I'm just saying nobody's going to believe this. So he said, well, you have to make a film. And I said, oh, come on, Fred, I don't know anything about making a film. He said, well, you must know someone with a camera. So I called the photographers at Children's Hospital who had been making slides. I said, do you know anybody with a camera, a film camera? And they said, oh, we just bought a 16 millimeter camera. Of course, it didn't have sound, but we'd love to come and film at the School for the Blind. Um, so I brought my little cassette tape recorder and a, a little mic and you know i think the important thing is not so much where you've been before but how open you are to new things or, or learning i don't know is it a calling what we do <laughs> well for me it is but i you know it wasn't a thing when i discovered it when when margaret said do you want to do art therapy there was there had been one book by Adrian Hill, a British guy who had tuberculosis and did paintings while he was in the asylum, but he had coined the term art therapy. It was more art for, you know, whiling away these boring days in the sanitarium. You know, you had had the outsider art discoveries of Prinzhorn, and there were patients making spontaneous art in mental hospitals. A lot of roots of the field. And then there was 
projective testing in psychology and the idea that you could learn something from people's art and that you could help people by helping them to make art it just sort of it was bubbling up under the surface and then it was given a name and the association uh, and the training programs yeah. of which um, art robbins was one of the first and uh, at pratt i mean this helped to define the field so for those who love people and art and yes um it's definitely fit whatever i needed to do internally and with my life and satisfied a lot of things so yes it's a calling i i think maybe it's helpful to people but i really for the most part most art therapists i work with are extremely creative and if you just look at the situation you're in and think about you know how do you decide what to do and and what what is your goal and and what's available and when i began there were no training programs and i literally went to contacted margaret namberg and edith kramer both of whom lived in new york and had written the only books i knew about and I, my parents lived in new york so when i visit my parents i would go and visit these people they would tell me what to do what not to do i and then i would get guidance and then the bulletin i met with uh, the early pioneers and they were my guides they were my mentors what what to read what kind of you know i should go into therapy because i hadn't had therapy i should get a good supervisor it was good advice um so they were very generous they gave of themselves to me and who they didn't know it wasn't planned um it, it sort of happened and that was i i was very lucky i think to be um involved in the field in its formative years it was a very fertile time and we were able to set standards for for good quality education and work work and i think so that part was fun and inventing things you know what you're calling your show is i think why i've been very passionate about trying to spread the word i've enjoyed traveling and spreading the word to different parts of the world i just think it's good stuff it works it helps people well thank you very much john it's been really a pleasure i feel very very lucky to have stumbled into art therapy at the time that i did and if it helped you know if what i've done helps other i really believe in it obviously in its power just to again say special thank you to dr judy rubin for making time for us today uh, i'd also like to thank expressive media inc and melissa diaz as for the concept behind artworks because it does artworks and therapy <laughs>